All right. If you will, let's go ahead and make our way back to our seats. And we will get started this morning. If you can find your seat, all 1,200 of you that are here this morning, that's what it feels like. All right. <laughs> Happy, Easter. Happy Easter. Yeah, the resurrection changes everything. That's what we're going to talk about for a few minutes this morning. I'm Jerry. Some of you all are actually new because you're here to see your um, whomever, you know, your niece or your granddaughter uh, be baptized, and we, we welcome you. And others that are just, you know, here for Easter or maybe just um, wanted to come check out Redstone this morning, it doesn't matter. Uh, but we've got a lot of people that are here this morning. I think that there's a message for all of us. So let me pray, and then here's what we're going to do. I'll kind of walk you through where we're, where we're headed. So we're going to uh, do a little bit of teaching. I want to show uh, from Scripture kind of what's happening today and why Easter is a big deal. Um, and then afterwards, at the end of that, we're going to have each of these young ladies come up and we're going to baptize them. We're going to take communion. Uh, we're going to sing a song. And then we're going to go do whatever, whatever we do on Easter afternoons. So that, that's kind of our agenda this morning. Um, but we want to go to the Word of God and see what the Word of God says first. So let's open up our hearts and pray that He'll um, speak to us. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, um, we, we come into uh, this morning, um, you know, sometimes on Easter, uh, for whatever reason, things are just a little crazy, a little wonky. It was for me even this morning. Um, and Lord, I, I pray that we'll put all of that aside. And I pray that, that we'll just pray to you and that we'll say, Lord, speak to me. And that we'll open up our hearts, we'll open up our minds, and that we will be receptive to the teaching of your word. Lord, we're having a conversation with you in this moment. Your word says in Hebrews that we have confidence to come before you because there was this veil that separated us from holy God that was torn when Jesus died. And we show up this morning because he did not stay dead, he resurrected. That's why we exist and that's why we have hope. And in the overall scheme of things, it's the only thing that matters is whether we believe that. So, Lord, speak to us this morning. May my words fall to the ground. And may everything that's from you and from your word and by your spirit, may it sink deep, deep into our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to jump into this passage. This is Romans 6, 1 through 11. If you don't have your Bible, it's up here. If you can't see that, it's in your worship guide. And you've always got a phone that you can go to if you need to. So we are coming together to celebrate the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, has risen from the dead and is very much alive. And today we're going to look at what happens to a person who has faith in what Christ has done. And we're going to see that through the posture of baptism. And then we're going to baptize 11 beautiful young ladies. 
It's always the ladies in this church. Why is that? We've got a lot of, lot of beautiful young, young ladies. So let's jump into our passage. This is Romans 6, 1 through 11. I'll break it into two segments. Um, first, we'll look at verses 1 through 5. The Word of God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we've been united with him, if we've been united with him, in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lived, he, li he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. If you go back from Genesis all the way to Revelations, you're going to see that the Lord oftentimes gives us these tangible illustrations to present an eternal truth. For example, you go look at the Old Testament, and you see this sacrificial system that was in place where there was a lot of blood and there was a lot of killing. And that was there to represent the fact that the perfect Lamb of God would one day give himself for us. All of that points to Jesus. Or Noah builds an ark to represent the fact that one day God would rescue a people for himself. And then afterwards, he gives us the rainbow, which belongs to God. And he gives us that as a promise, as a reminder that he'll never flood the, the earth again. We fast forward to the New Testament, and we're going to see that this, this morning here, when we take communion, Jesus takes bread and he breaks it. And he says, you see that bread that was broken? That's my body. That's what I'm doing for you. And then he pours this chalice of wine. And he says, you see the way that that chalice of wine is pouring out you know, into this cup? That's my blood, and it's being poured out for you. So he gives these, these visual illustrations to teach us something. And we see the same thing in baptism. Today, as we baptize 11 young ladies who have each gone to their parents, asking questions, talking about gospel, making sure that they understand the tenets of the gospel, it's not something that when you get to the age of 7, 8, 9, 10, it's not something that you're supposed to do. Salvation followed by baptism comes once we understand what the gospel is. And these parents have communicated that to their daughters. And the daughters understand the gospel. And it's a beautiful thing. And they want to follow Jesus. Do they understand all the doctrine and theology that goes along with that? Probably not. It's a work. But just like Jesus said, come to me as a, a young child. Just have faith and believe the truth that I was dead and I was raised again. And you too can have eternal life. And that takes us to this purpose 
of baptism, another tangible illustration that gives us an eternal truth. The first thing that someone is told to do after they come to faith in Christ is to be baptized. In this passage in Romans 6, it shows us why. It ties directly to the resurrection and the things that need to be understood for the eternal richness of this morning's baptismal ceremony to be properly understood by all of us as well. Easter morning, lots of people come out on Easter morning and I expect that there's three groups of people here. I expect that we have people that probably show up on Easter that are really, if they're honest, they're just not that religious. I, I expect that we have other people, like I was most of my life, that go to church on a regular basis, would probably say if I was taking a survey or filling out a form or whatever, or someone asked me, I would say that I was a Christian. But the truth of the matter is, you aren't and I wasn't following Jesus. And then there's other individuals that get it, that see it, where the gospel message has transformed your lives and you're following him. And I believe that the Lord has a message for all three groups today. It's the simplicity of what the gospel is and why we baptize afterward. There's this word gospel that just means good news. And a few years ago, I was trying to think of creative ways that I could remember just the tenets of the gospel when I'm sitting down and, and talking with people. And this is what I've used. You can't understand the gospel unless you start with God. Okay, so gospel itself means good news. So there's this really good news. Well, good news doesn't mean anything unless you understand bad news. So we start with God. Who is God? He's holy. He's righteous. He's perfect. He's not like us. So much so that in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah comes before the presence of God, he says, Woe to me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. I recognize how sinful, as a prophet of God, who's speaking the oracles of God, I recognize how sinful I am by coming into the presence of God. Gospel begins with God. I say this often. I'll say it again. You can't breathe another breath. The next breath that comes out of your lungs and enters into this gymnasium is a gift of God's grace. Your heart will not beat again unless the Lord Jesus, your creator, enables you to do so. And we, humanity, are an arrogant lot. And we have rebelled against our creator, which leads us to the O. There's this O, this obstacle, this obstruction. You can use whatever word that you want to, but it separates us from holy God. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of Almighty God, the perfection, the holiness, and the righteousness of Almighty God. There's a chasm there, and it separates you before, from him, and you cannot enter into his presence because of this O, oh, this obstacle of sin. And unless you recognize, and unless I recognize, I'm a sinner. 
I am broken, like Isaiah. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. Unless you understand that, why would you need a Savior? Life is good. I've got everything I need. It's hard sometimes, but I'm all right. I'm not that bad. I'm definitely not as bad as the Joneses or whomever. And if we have that kind of a mentality, we're not going to need or see our need of a Savior. There's this obstacle of sin. And then we hear these words, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, a Savior. That's our S, who is Christ the Lord. And with that angelic proclamation, one what looks to us like a random night, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, finds his way onto this earth. And everything from the sacrificial system to, to Noah's Ark and just everything else that we see in Scripture is leading up to this one moment in time when the fullness of time came, God sent His Son. And Jesus, the Savior, enters into the world. The Word of God says, Jesus says, you diligently study the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Like if you read the Bible and if you can memorize scripture and you understand scripture that you're going to have eternal life. And he says, but these scriptures, they speak of me. Everything is about me coming as savior. And if we miss that and if we think, oh, he's calling us to be religious, to do good deeds, to say no to certain things and yes to other things and to love people and be kind to them. And if I do those things, my, my good list is going to outlook, you know, outweigh my bad list and the Lord will allow me to come in. No. You're broken. You, you've sinned. And you've fallen short of the glory of God. You cannot come before His presence. Your good list will never be longer than your bad list. And even if it were, it's still going to not be enough to come before God's presence. And this is why we had to have a savior. And I use this P there's different ways. It's propitiation is a good theological word. We won't go there today, but he, he paid or he took our place. He paid for our sins. You know, I, I say sometimes to people think about the stuff that only you and God know that you've done in your life. Your worst sin, your worst year, your worst month. And maybe nobody knows that thing that you did. It was bad. It was, it was dark. It was true rebellion. It was true sin. And you try not to think about that. But in that moment, as I'm reminding you of that, that's what Jesus died for. He paid the penalty for that sin so that you could come before the presence of Almighty God. He took your place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who had no sin became sin for us that in him we might become the church. We might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness that makes God God is imputed or it's given to us and it clothes us so that now we can come before his presence. And the E in doing so, once we believe, once we understand, I am sinful. God, you are holy. I am broken. I recognize my sin and I believe this good news that you died, but that you rose again and that that death took my place and it paid the penalty for my sin. You have an eternal E. 
an eternal relationship with the creator that gives you breath and that enables your heart to beat. He has created you for his glory so that you might know him and walk with him. It is not so that we can live the American dream. God has created us. And when we receive the gospel, we live for eternity. We have an eternal relationship with him. Our future is sealed. And then I come to this L and it just holds everything together. It's the foundation for why he did it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And if we would believe in him, we won't perish. Our sins won't send us to hell, but we will have eternal life. It was the hardest thing for me, and I've said this many times, it was the hardest thing for me to recognize in my own walk. I understood Christianity, I understood the gospel, but to think that he loved me and that he gave himself for me, it was too much, it was too hard. Why would he do that? And then one random day, that kind of sunk into the pores of my skin and into my thick brain, and, and I understood in my heart, Oh, this isn't just this general, I love people. He loved me and he gave himself for me. You are the me this morning. There are people here that do not know the Lord. You are not following Jesus. I don't think that that's such a bold declaration. I think that that's probably true. And he loves you. And he's given you good news. Good news that you might know of his love. God is love. We wouldn't understand love apart from him, but he's also perfectly holy as well. And to those who rebel against him, who've lived offensively toward him, opposing him by their actions, living for themselves instead of for his glory, in his divine perfection, he cannot let that rebellion go. He wouldn't be God. He has to deal with it because he's perfectly loving, but he's also perfectly just. And the good news is that he's able to do both of those at one time. He's holy, yet he loves us. So he gives himself for us to show his love, but also to appease his justice by paying the penalty that we so badly deserved. He did walk on this earth. He came as a baby and he walked. And as he walked and as he talked, especially the religious people, he would do this thing where he would give them an illustration or a teaching. And what it would do is it would reveal their hearts. It would reveal their sins. And it made them angry and it made them frustrated because he was taking everything that they knew about religion and us trying to work our way to God. And he was eradicating that and saying, that'll never do it. I know your hearts. And they got so angry, they, as in humanity, as in us, the easier thing to do is just rid the world of him. So they killed him. Or we killed him. Humanity said, we don't want to be exposed. We don't want our sins to be revealed. We were fine until you came around. We liked our religion. So let's put him on the cross. Are you sure you don't want Barabbas? 
I mean, you want to want Jesus instead of Barabbas? They're like, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. The one that was innocent was the one who gave himself that we might have life. We did that. And he loved us nonetheless. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is good news. That is the gospel. The love of a holy God towards sinful man being willing to come to earth, walk amongst us, and die a horrible death that as the perfect Lamb of God to give himself for us. It's good news. It's really, really good news that that thing, that month, that week, that year, that thing that you want to block out of your mind that was so dark and so bad and you're so embarrassed by it, that even that, Jesus can look you in the eyes and say, your sins are forgiven. I paid the penalty for that. Do you see that? It's really, really good news. And that's what this morning is about. And it takes us back to this passage. I'll walk through it pretty quickly, but let's go back and look at it again. Romans 6, we'll look at the first five verses. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin live, it in, live still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And he says, if we've been united with him, in a death like this, we shall certainly, I love that word, be united with him in a resurrection like this. Baptized into Christ, symbolically and spiritually. I think of Galatians 2, you know, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. This is what baptism speaks of. We're baptized into the death of Christ. And we're raised from the dead to walk in newness of life. When I walked in this morning... Uh, Dell and Andy Clements, this is nothing against you guys because all of you are baptismal. But when I walked in, I said, oh, it kind of looks like a corpse, doesn't it? Or uh, uh, whatever. What's well, not a corpse? Well, a coffin. Not a corpse. <laughs> coffin, yes, corpse, no. I said, it kind of looks like a coffin. I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Because everything that we're seeing in baptism shows that we have died. We've been baptized into Christ's death, death and we no longer live. And we die to ourselves and we're rising, we're rising to be united with him is what it says. For newness of life. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You become a completely different person. I used to live for myself. Now I believe the gospel and I recognize, oh, this is why I'm alive. This is what my purpose is, that I might bring glory to him and declare the excellencies of him who has called me. It gives me worldview. It gives me life purpose. It changes everything just as the resurrection changes everything. Now look at verses 6 through 11 again. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Do you see that? Old self crucified, no longer enslaved to sin. We were in bondage 
we were in slavery and because of Christ, we are no longer enslaved. But instead, we have been set free from sin. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free is what the word of God tells us. And then it goes on to say, if we've, been, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Jesus conquered the last enemy. And you know what it was? It was death. It was death. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan. And he conquered death. The thing that plagues us and brings us the most fear. Jesus says you've been set free because of your simple belief in the good news of the gospel. And you no longer have to fear death anymore. That's really good news, people. It's the hope of the world. And then he says he died to sin once for all. Once for all, when he says on the cross, it is finished and then gives himself up. He meant what he said. No more sacrifice, sacrifices for sins is needed. No more sacrificial system is needed. Everything to this point was pointing to this one moment where Jesus would say it is finished but then instead of staying in the grave, he rises from the dead. And if you believe that, and it ends with this, so that you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, if you believe that, the sin that once plagued you no longer has to plague you anymore. I always use the illustration of the choke collar. And before you came to Christ, like the enemy, you'd fight against it, but he'd just yank and eventually you would give in. Jesus just removes the choke collar. The enemy is going to continue to bark out orders. And in your flesh, you may think, oh, I have to give in to that. And Jesus is like, no, you don't. I died for that. You no longer have to give in. Instead, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. So to truly understand the gospel and the purpose of baptism, we have to understand this. Life comes through death. And resurrection cannot happen without death happening first. Life comes from death and resurrection cannot happen without death coming first. That's where salvation begins. And after we die to ourselves and by faith we come to Jesus, we believe the gospel and then we're baptized, we then become both dead and alive. We become dead to sin. It no longer has power over us. And we become alive to God, to walk with him, to know him, to be used by him, and one day to forever be in his presence. I said this earlier, or maybe I didn't, maybe I just thought it, but to some people that hear this, the word of God says, it's going to sound like complete foolishness. So you're saying that the sacrifices were pointing to Jesus, who was God, was going to come to the earth and he was going to reveal sins and then he was going to go on a cross and he was going to die. And he was going to raise to life. You're, that's what you're saying, right? Yes. 
To some people, that's going to sound like foolishness. But to those of us that are being saved, it's the power of God and to salvation. It's the thing that changes everything and it gives us this peace that we so badly need and this forgiveness that we fight for our whole lives and a purpose that we try to find in every other way. The gospel changes everything and the gospel is true because the resurrection is true. Jesus is alive. You may not understand that, but for many of us, it's the only reason that we are different than we once were. And if you don't see that difference in your life, then you probably didn't believe. Because Jesus lives within us and he changes everything. So to the non-religious unbeliever who is in the sovereignty of God, found his or her way in a gymnasium in Elizabethan on Easter morning. This is the answer. That void, that hole that you struggle to fill and you're never satisfied, this is the answer. This is it. It's the gospel. It's the sacrifice of Jesus. Our need to die to ourselves, to quit living for ourselves, to get up off of the throne of our lives and say, Lord, I repent. I am so sorry. I believe that you died for me. You are now on the throne. I serve you. He is the answer. To the religious, to some people that walked in thinking, think I'm a Christian or I thought I was a Christian, but we're never truly following Jesus. Just wanted to go to heaven. Maybe you've been baptized. I was, you know, maybe you did say yes to some questions that the pastor asked you. I did, but then I went my merry way because I thought I had my ticket to heaven and it doesn't work that way. We don't have time to go through all those passages, but Jesus is really clear. It doesn't work that way. To you, your religion will never save you. Your church attendance will never save you. Your baptism will not save you. The only hope that you have is faith in Jesus, this risen Savior in this gospel that he declares. And to the believers that are here, and there are many of you, many that I know and some I don't, you're free. You're forgiven. Quit living like you're in bondage. You've got something to, to declare to the world. Don't hide it. They're looking for answers and we have the answer. Before we can give them the answer, we have to believe ourselves that we are free. It is for freedom that Christ shall set you free. You'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free, Jesus says. We are free. Count yourself dead to sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Believe these truths and worship. Worship him. And to the new believers, girls, this is you. To the new believers, these 11 young ladies, you are now showing your parents, your relatives, this church, a host of heaven. The angels are watching you this morning. Jesus is watching you this morning. And you are declaring, I die to myself and I am going to follow this Jesus, this risen Savior for the rest of my life. You will go into this water and you're going to get really wet. I mean, you're going to be covered with water 
And it's going to symbolize this was my death to my old life and all of my sins. And you're going to come back out of that water and we are going to rejoice because you're now a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are alive. You are his. Believe that, girls. Believe that and follow him for the rest of your life. 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's risen. The gospel is now made possible to everyone who believes. And if you want to confess Christ, if you want to believe that gospel, it is yours this morning. We can pray with you. We can pray for you. We can answer questions. We can point you to all of the things that are in Scripture. But at the end, they all point to Jesus was dead. He rose again. And he did that because he loves you. And in doing so, he will pay for all of your sins. I encourage you to believe that this morning. But if you do believe it, to let us know, to let someone know, because the next step is to be obedient, girls, is to be baptized. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Thank you for these eternal truths. I will be still for a moment and I'm asking Holy Spirit that you speak to people as only you can. To some of us, remind us. To some of us, show us that a religion will never save us. And to some of us, help us to see that this really is the answer. But speak as only you can. Keep your heads bowed, but if you are sitting here this morning and if you've heard this simple message of the gospel and if you want to know more, if you have questions, if you believe, we would say that there's a little box back in the back. You can fill out a form in the worship guide and, or there's some on the back table and just stick it in the box and we'll be in touch with you this week. Or you may want to come up to us after the service and just talk with us. But don't leave here without letting someone somehow know that I've been convicted of my sins and I believe the truth of the gospel. Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you for these girls and their families. And I pray now, Lord, as we step into a time of baptism, that we will see this optic, this visible illustration of everything that was just declared from your word, from death to life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.